1: People can change anything they want to, and that means everything in the world. Show me any country, and there'll be people in it. It's time to take the humanity back into the center of the ring and follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without people,
2: you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke the fire.
1: All right, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody in between, welcome to episode 48, I believe this one is, Stoke the Fire, as always, Jesse Leach and Matt Stocks joining you from across the pond. Um, as I told you on the phone a moment ago, Jesse, I've got <laughs> quite severe ear blockage at the moment, so if I shout, and I don't know I'm shouting, just kind of tell me to, <laughs> to tone it down.
0: <laughs> it reminds me of that Ron Burgundy... Uh- skit where he's can't control <laughs> can't control the volume of my voice <laughs> i just feel like aussie just walking, Hello, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>
1: rolling around the place but um <clears throat> are you doing good you're about to head off on a six-week tour so i imagine your world is just in complete chaos at the moment you're just trying to tie up all the loose ends before heading off i know exactly what that feeling is and uh
0: yeah it's a lot isn't it it's a mixed bag it's mostly awesome and hope-filled and crazy and fun but uh, i've been real busy and just trying to like soak in those last moments of home, all the little things that I cherish, I'm gonna miss, you know, because I'm a sentimental fool. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm in good spirits, man. Keeping busy, getting ready to do this. Finally, after two years of being on, uh, you know, hold for this tour, we're finally gonna get out there and do it again. So fingers crossed, man.
1: Well, if you're watching or listening to this from America, uh, obviously go see Killswitch Engage, August Burns Red, and Light the Torch. It's going to be a a historic tour, two years in the making, well, a lifetime in the making, really. Two years on pause. And, um, yeah, tickets are are on sale now. So go to wherever you buy tickets on the internet. And speaking of tickets on the internet, we just announced our very first live Stoke the Fire event, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Sunday the 3rd of April, New York City uh east berlin is the venue my first time in new york i can't believe i get to visit new york for the first time and perform a show in that weekend
0: and it is the neighborhood uh that cbs used to be in CBGBs. so you're we're literally going to be in the the belly of where all punk rock punk rock history new york city hardcore history was born so I'll we'll have to do a little bit of a tour uh, with you when we get there, too. I'm sure it's going to be amazing. I can't wait. And we're finally putting our money where our mouth is. We weren't just talking shit. We're actually going to be doing live events. Uh, and this will be the first one. And obviously, with my touring schedule, I'll have to figure that out. But we're going to do more of this. This is something I think this is just the first step in the right direction for what we want to do with this.
1: Yeah, I think the first one really is just to kind of assess the demand and make sure that it's there. So um, if you love this show... And I know there's only one location, but if you do want to come and support the show, New York City, April the 3rd is where we'll be. And then if we decide after that, oh, there is a hunger for these live events as much as there is for the, you know, the podcast, then we will do more. So it's all down to you, ladies and gentlemen. Tickets are on sale now. They're $15 till the end of January. And then after that, they go up to 20, uh, which, you know, is a fair price, a a very fair price, I'd say, for what you're going to get, which we will tell you about maybe on the next episode. Um, yes. But for now, let's get our guest. Let's get this week's guest on yes. the show. Um, we I can't even remember how I came across this guy's work, so maybe he can tell me. Uh, but his name is Rene Lecure. I think that's how it's correctly pronounced. Again, here he is. Here he he is. can give us the scoop. So, Rene, let me kind of backtrack here. Did I hear about you through Chuck Treese? Would that have been how it happened? Does that make sense to you?
2: So it's funny because I was just well, we had that little two week break, all of us when we tried to have the Zoom meetings, didn't work. Da-da-da-da. So that gave me two weeks to stalk you guys on, nice. on Instagram. Oh, I know, yeah. I know You've done your homework you. as well. Yeah, Love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was like, how did these guys how did, I, I was like, I don't even know. I know that I know that I was following you and probably through Chuck. But I was just into your posts, and it was your Willie Nelson post, actually. I'm a huge Willie Nelson. All right fan. on. Willie Nelson changed my life at 10 years old. But That's a story for another time. And then I was like, how did they find me? And then I was thinking, I must be pretty cool. If just cut. But now <laughs> it's with some Chuck Trees, who's an amazing human being.
1: Yeah, I'm um, sure it must have been God through Chuck it. and, and it the, skateboarding, the skateboarding connection. It um,
2: was. I saw your name, and then I remember I was following you, and I'm like, oh, he's doing such cool stuff. He seems to have impeccable taste in music. <laughs> I want to be his friend, and I started following him.
1: Well, <laughs> here we are. Here we are, connected by here the I wonderful am. medium of Zoom. And, um, yeah, Jesse and I read your email, read your story, have seen the documentary. Jesse. And um, we're both thrilled to get to know you. So, Jesse, should we take it back to the start,
0: like we like to do here on the show? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what what better place to start than the beginning? You know, I got to say, I watched the documentary. I, I really want to get into that, but I think it is only right to to start because it sounds like you had a very interesting childhood. Um, and from what I read, I, I, I'm sure you got stories, man. I can't imagine. So, being off on your own, riding trains—where do you start? Where does this all start? <laughs>
2: Start well, first. Let me say, first. I want to thank you guys. I'm so impressed with both of you. You both have your hands in so many different things. Jesse, the music kills, and that's coming from a music snob, <laughs> probably much like Matt. I'm I'm guessing, but I am a music snob, and I'll tell you that I think I know everything about every genre. Um, and I can relate. Matt, what what, what are you drinking tonight?
1: What am I drinking tonight? Yeah. Um, where is it? Here
2: we go. Are you, are you on the tea?
1: I'm on the lemon and ginger.
2: Good for you, dude. I'm going to give the brand a
1: shout out because they're incredible. Pucker. Pucker Good tea. For you, bro. Chin, Good chin. for
2: you. I went through this. Let me ask. So before you guys start interviewing me, let me ask you a question. So because I know you just stopped drinking and just from, of course, like I said, from stalking you on Instagram, <laughs> I saw it seemed like you stopped drinking and all of a sudden there was like this surge of things that you were doing, um, hosting events, the blah, book, blah, blah, blah. Now, my question is, I stopped drinking 20 years ago. I drink now occasionally, but there was a long time that I couldn't drink. But I had to change everything. I had to change my career. I moved to another city. I wow. disconnected from my friends. And then I was mentally dead for a long time. And then one day the spark came back because mentally, I thought that I couldn't create anything unless I was high. You seem to have stopped drinking and automatically just boom, (laughs) Matt's coming in (laughs) hot. Is that to keep yourself busy or did your creative juices just start flowing? And I ask because people that know me from before see what I'm doing now and they're like, Dude, what's up with you? And I'm like, it's amazing how much you can accomplish when you're fucking sober. Yeah. You know what I mean? So my yeah, question think, uh... is are you just trying to keep busy or are you just is it just like it's flowing through you right now, creativity?
1: Well, Jesse lovingly refers to me as the madman. Um, and he knows that like come rain or shine, I'm out there doing it every day, no matter what the occasion or the weather. So I think really it's just now I don't have hangovers slowing me down. I'm like the madman times a thousand. that's yeah. really all it is like the the ideas and the um the hunger was always there and has always been there, but I'm usually like diluting that with heavy partying right. so um yeah, right. I still want to achieve and do all these things, but I don't necessarily do so because I'm like hanging <laughs> yeah um, whereas yeah. now I don't have hangovers, so I'm like, yeah, let's get to work
2: <laughs> I wish I would have stopped. 30 shit i would have wish i would have never stopped i wish i would have never started but whatever some of it was fun looking in, back in hindsight. yeah but, so yeah. The, the beginning um <clears throat> grew up uh with my mom my dad wasn't very connected with us we grew up very poor new york city new jersey in the 70s was a nightmare um i had a rough childhood but i was in a loving home um music was a big deal to me coming up. I mean, I remember the day that I discovered that music was helping me. I was, so we lived in a building when I was seven, eight years old in 1970s, New Jersey. And our neighborhood was in the wintertime, the, what they used to call the bums or homeless people. And drug addicts would break into our building just to get warm. So there was that type of thing happening. There was gangs. There was a building across the street that burned down. I lived alone with my mom. I was just like a chubby little kid. I never felt safe. And at night, I would be so scared to go to sleep at night. And my mom wouldn't let me sleep in the bed with her, which is what I wanted. And I had this little Superman transistor radio. And one night I took it in the bed with me. And you know, I, I had barely had the volume up. So as a matter of fact, it's so vivid to me. I put it under my pillow just in case my mom came in the room. She wouldn't see it and Wolf Wolfman Jack. Have you ever guys ever heard of Wolfman oh, Jack? Yeah. Oh yeah. Dude. It Wolfman's Jack. Yeah, Wolfman Jack. Yeah. Hey, baby. Woo, It's Wolfman. And his voice came through there. And I was like, what am I listening to? And um it made, and he was, you know, his show was all 50s rock and roll. So here it is, 1976. I'm listening to Wolfman Jack secretly every single night. I'm the only kid in my neighborhood that's into like Elvis. Everyone else is into John ah. Travolta. I'm going to school with my hair slicked back. My mom doesn't know what's wrong with me, but that was comforting to me. And I, that music has been comforting to me my entire life. Um, <clears throat> we moved around a lot, um, and I had a rough childhood. Let's just we'll, we'll just say that everyone's had it rough. I, I had it rough too which is, I think, why I have such a soft spot for, for kids. And I don't think that any children should suffer or be uncomfortable or, or, uh, or have any type of hardships. Uh, when I was a teenager, I discovered, I asked for a guitar. I was on a guitar, started playing guitar, and that was the next thing that I was really into. I mean, I had such, I was obsessed with it, you know, and you guys probably, I'm sure, know what that's like obsessed with playing the guitar my parents hated it my mother hated it by then she was remarried to my stepfather he didn't get it they were like what you know at that time it was like hair metal so i wanted to grow my hair out i'd ripped up jeans um and one day they just took it away from me i didn't have good grades dude i was fucking crushed it was like my world ended like it was the only thing that i really loved in this world was that it was the only thing that i was ever good at Like, I took three guitar lessons. That was a fucking nightmare. Then one day I meet another kid at school that looked like me. Long hair, had Van Halen scratched on his notebook. I'm like, he's obviously cool. And he taught me a power chord. (laughs) Dude, the following week, I had learned, like, every single song on the Judas Priest album that I had, every single Scorpion song. It was like, wow, I can play every song. I mean, I was Iron Maiden. The next thing you know, I'm teaching my friends how to play guitar. So I was that passion- passionate when they when she took it away. When my parents took away my guitar, it was like a kite, and they cut the string, and it was just like I was just fucking lost. You know what I mean? I just gave up after that. Um, and just my life was just a weird. I got to be part of a lot of really cool music communities between 1983 and the present all by mistake. So during that loss, I stopped playing music. Um, I rolled into the eighties punk scene in Atlanta where I discovered the Ramones and that was another life changing thing. And we followed the Ramones around like, like they were the fucking grateful dead. Um, But better but better yeah. <laughs> but but except like except for Johnny who was always a dick to us but Joey who was like an angel from heaven and Dee was always just trying to get us to go cop drugs for him but <laughs> <clears throat> that's another story rest in peace um, how did you yeah. get
0: down to atlanta what what, what
2: brought so you so no. we moved around a lot and i ended up going to high school in the suburbs of atlanta georgia um, by the time i was 18 i was orphaned um, so i was on my own And then that's when I started hitchhiking and all that stuff. So in Atlanta, I got to experience the punk scene. There was like an industrial dance scene, which was like its own crazy thing in the 80s, where it was like punk, but dance, but really aggro. And there was a a underground gay music house scene was just developing there. And I loved the music, man. And I was just soaking it all in. But my thing growing up was that, I didn't want to just experience, like I wanted to be in it, you know what I mean? Ended up, through those travels in Chapel Hill, when the grunge thing started breaking, Chapel Hill had a really great grunge scene, it was a place just where every band would stop, so for example, I weaseled my way into working at the Cat's Cradle, um, doing, like, uh, doing, uh, doing the, the stage security there, and met bands like Soundgarden and all those guys way before they blew up. You know what I mean? Like loud love uh, that concert tour. I'll tell you a funny story. I was running across. They were that the the our manager said they don't want anybody on the stage. They're really fucking picky about people stage diving. Cat's Cradle was notorious for fucking just hardcore slam dancing at that time. So to make a long story short, they were playing their last song, Big Bottom by Spinal Tap. (laughs) 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 Yeah, dude, it was awesome. Chris Cornell's playing the guitar which was the only song that he played guitar on i'm running across the stage ducking because one of my friends was doing security on the other side who weighed? i don't even know why they had us doing security he weighed like 90 pounds and i weighed 125 um I, he got pulled into the audience and i was running across and all of a sudden i feel like what like a fucking gunshot hit me in the back and i get knocked into the audience and i pull myself back up and I'm like, what the fuck is happening? I turn around and Chris Cornell is trashing the fucking stage. I mean, he's got the microphone and he's fucking throwing it in the air through the ceiling tiles, bottle of water. Just ah, He's having a fucking temper tantrum, whoosh, runs off the stage. I'm like, what the fuck is his problem? They're like, dude, you kicked the microphone stand down in the middle of this song. Oh, I'm like, oh, my God. That was, that was my favorite band at that time. So it was like knocking the microphone out of God's hand. So we get backstage and, I'm, you know, me and all my little homies, I mean, we idolize, uh, you know, Nirvana when it was like Bleach. Like it was at that time. Like Nirvana hadn't, hadn't come out with their big albums. Like there was no word for grunge. It was like Mother Love Bone and all those bands, all those Seattle bands. So we're backstage and they're like, the, their manager comes out. He's like, the band wants to talk to you on the bus. And I'm like, oh my God they're going to fuck me up. <laughs> they're going to beat me up. I was like, I don't want to go on the bus. I'm like, dude, I grabbed my best friend. I'm like, please go on the bus with me. Cause I don't, I think they're going to beat me up. You saw how he trashed the stage. Right. So I went on the bus and he apologized. And he's like, I'm really sorry. Just you fucked the song up for me. And he, they gave us beers and shirts from the show. And of course we were like, yes!
0: that's awesome. <laughs>
2: anyway, I, that was, I just totally went on a tangent. On oh, the, I love it. I else.
0: <laughs> I'm seeing it all in my head, dude. That's what a time frame for music, too.
2: Yeah. So, so did that. Uh, got into the hip hop. I saw Public Enemy. and That was another there at the Cat's Cradle, in a, in a venue that there was probably 200 people in. And Public Enemy, I don't know if you know about them, but it was. It takes a nation of millions. They had oh, the God. S1Ws, the Nation of Islam. They had all these freaking guys in tuxedos in the front. Cause once they were ready for us to slam dance, it's all white kids there, you know? Um, and, and, and so that concert changed, just blew my mind. It was like a new form of punk rock to me, you know? I'm like, the, so I fell in love with it so much that I learned how to DJ, started DJing and then was a hip hop DJ for 15 years, moved to South beach, um, did that as a career. Um, got into acid jazz, the acid jazz movement, Jamaica and all that stuff was happening. Started promoting, promoting parties there worked also in the, in, in the gay, um, house music scene there, which was super progressive at the time. So it's been a crazy journey. Um,
1: are you partying like, throughout all those years? Yeah.
2: Dude, like a, yeah, like a, uh, you like, I would say like a rock star, but you know, like a, dumbass at the same time I had so many opportunities that I destroyed so in that time period I was and I always I say now and I don't know how you feel about God or anything but to have that gift of of being creative you're an artist or a writer or a musician to me those are gifts that God gives you Because if you think about it, the only being that can create something out of nothing is God. You know what I mean? So, I mean, God had a blank canvas and he made this world, right? So if if my son, when he was younger, uh, God rest his soul, I would tell him all the time. He was a visual artist and he would take a pile of garbage and come home and, and he would make something. And I'm like, you don't understand that gift that you have. I don't have that. Like, how could you take something and make something beautiful out of nothing? I You know, God gives you that. And I I have a quick theory that I'm going to share with you. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but if you take all the writers in the world, all the artists in the world, all the musicians in the world, and all the people that we call like creatives now, and you bunch them all together, what percentage of those people would you say deal with some type of depression?
0: A large one, yeah. The vast majority, I would say, yes.
1: Well, I- oh, you just hit mute, dude. Did
2: I mute myself? What <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, you're you, good now. Your,
1: wis- your wisdom was cut so deep, you had to silence <laughs> <Yeah>. yourself. <laughs> Are you back?
0: Hey, talk. Can you hear us? Oh, you're muted. Is yeah, that- you
1: just you just got to turn the uh, the the mute button back off. Bottom left, see the microphone. Just hit. There we go. Sail Are like. we good? Yes. yes. I can hear myself.
2: There Did, we go. Uh, can you guys hear me?
1: Too? Yes. I can't hear you. You can't hear us now. <laughs> Ghost in the machine, dude. Right? At such a weird point. One, two, three, four. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: You might oh, want to. Um, I can't hear you guys at all.
1: You can't. I was going to say you might want to restart your mic setup, but if you can't hear us, that would be pointless.
2: Can you sign with me?
1: <laughs> yeah try pulling your mic in and out like reconfiguring your mic in some way
2: <laughs> okay i'm back okay yeah so, and we're back. Yes. so my, my question was uh, so you take that group of a <laughs> yeah, yeah. hundred of those people how large. many of those are dealing with depression large my theory is this so as human beings God gave us like this tiny sliver of what he has inside him. And it is so powerful that we cannot handle it. We go mad. The compulsion is so great that you go mad unless you know how to use it. You know what I mean? And it wasn't until after I was older that I realized that. And I used to say as a joke when I was DJing, when people would be like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And I would say, it's God touching my head right now. Because I was so high, that's just some stupid shit that I said. But now when, when I look back at my life and I can see periods where I played in a band and success with that band was coming so easily, and then I would flush it down the toilet. I thought I was flushing it down the toilet, but it was literally just taken away from me. And I, that project was done. And then I would work on something else and it would go up really fast and it would be taken away from me. And with DJing, it was like I was given so many gifts and so many chances to do something beyond, but I was so high that I didn't like, you know, MTV came and, and offered me things and all different kinds of people. And I would, you know, I, I didn't care about it. I just, in my mind, I was like, I'm an artist and you know, I'm not going to corrupt those things and all those things you tell yourself when you're either young or high you know okay. what i mean and um like i said there was there's music projects and you know uh just all you know i looking back on it now i'm okay with it because i learned something from all those things and i learned something from being a drug addict and from hitchhiking and from sleeping under bridges and from hopping on trains and just the people that i met um you learn something from all of that and for a long time my wife would tell me i don't know how you have survived this long because you know there's been gunshots and drug overdoses and pipe bombs thrown at us and the insanity of of even being homeless you know what i mean or being a teenage hitchhiker that she's like you obviously you were god was hanging on to you for a purpose And I used to joke with her. I'm like, I have all these skills, right? But none of them are any good at making money. (laughs) I'm like, I wish that I could just take my skills and and do something that would would help financially. And for a long time, that was the running joke. But when Amigos Cuba started, I realized that all of those bad things that I went through and all of those skills that I jokingly say were worthless what make are what make, make Amigo skate Cuba work, you know what I mean? And it's that that attracts people to it. you know Our thing with Amigo skate Cuba is and what we do is we try to go our mission was never just to stay in Cuba, but it's just where we have stayed. Um, and just to give the listeners a little background there, Cuba is a communist country. Things like creativity, are stifled by the government um, to the point where children call themselves zombies because they are told not to be creative. You, you're not allowed to think freely. You're not allowed to dream. You know what I mean? Um, so what we try to do with Amigo is just create that spark in kids that are, these kids are, are dead to the world. I mean, they literally call themselves zombies. They there's a, there was a group of them that used to call themselves the No Futures. Um, and and they have every right to. I mean, they live they, they literally live in a world, and I'll give you both an example right now. When you were 14 years old, Jesse, and I kind of already know the story because I also listen to a bunch of the podcasts. What what was the thing that turned you on? What was the thing that you were like, fuck man, I love that. What is that?
0: Yeah. Hardcore punk music. Absolutely. I just knew I was going to hold a microphone and and, and do it. And uh, you couldn't tell me no on that, but you know, I had encouragement.
2: What was it it, though? that drew you to that because you saw shows because you were.
0: Yeah. I had access to it through a community of people. Absolutely. I went to shows. I saw VHS tapes. We traded tapes. Like I had a community that drew me into that. Yeah.
2: Okay. You can't have any of those things. So put that on pause, Matt.
0: 14 years old women. (laughs)
1: Women. (laughs) No, it it was, it was very much for me. I've never skateboarded, but like the culture of skating for me has always been hand in hand with punk rock. And it's about identity and it's about expression. It's about freedom. It's about family. Um, You know, it's about giving people who don't have a life, something to latch onto. And as you say, to dream and to hope and live for. Um, but, in the West, we take those things for granted, don't we? We have them yep. right there. We can go so, to shows. Uh, we can go to <clears throat> parks.
2: Everything you guys mentioned is illegal in Cuba. Yeah. So you're not going to punk shows. You're not going to be part of that community because it's against the law for that community to exist. You can't be part of the skateboarding community because it, that community is not allowed to exist. To the point to where there are no skate shops in Cuba because it's illegal to have a skate shop. And there's no music stores to even buy a microphone or a guitar or a set of drums because that's illegal too. So where does that end for me at that age? It was it was it was rock and roll and skateboarding and BMX and wanting to be part of those communities because probably much like you guys, it was a community that I had something in common with. We were like the outsiders. I wasn't into you know, team sports. I was, you know what I mean? I, that's what turned me on. So the three of us now, 14 years old in Cuba, we're fucked. What are you going to do? We're going to drink, right? Mm, what yeah. else are we do? I'm fucking unhappy. I can't, I can't skateboard. You know, we can't listen. We can't go see a show. When we first started in Cuba, going to Cuba in 2010, they didn't have inter- access to the internet. So it's not like you could go on YouTube and find those things. You'd have to wait for some drunk tourist to like accidentally leave you like a hardcore CD. You know what I mean? So what do we do? See, our community, that's what we're good at. There was a lot, there's a lot of people that look at Amigo and their complaint is with so many other hardships in Cuba, why would you waste your time, you know, with bringing skateboards down or bringing a camera down or bringing uh you know a guitar down we have a buddy that that works for Fender so he hooks us up with guitars I feel like,
1: very quickly, I feel like that's um, an attack which a lot of charitable organizations get, no matter what it is. There's one in the UK that gives haircuts to homeless people. and it's it. a, And it's a similar sort of thing. People are like, well, they need homes more than they need haircuts. And you're like, well, yeah, they do, but what can you get them today that's a lot easier? And when you give someone a haircut, you give them a sense of, like, they, they feel decent about themselves, like they're a human being, like they have self-worth. Um and so you can start with things like haircuts and skateboards and that can change someone's soul, can't it? You know, you're not going to change the world overnight, but you can start with these things like that. And I, yeah, I do feel like that's a very easy criticism to make that a lot of charitable organizations face, but fuck that shit.
2: I mean, a lot it, I, over the years, I've realized that the people that make those comments are people that don't do anything.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, of course. <laughs> what
2: makes this powerful and what, it's, what I try to tell everyone, because there's a lot of people are like, I want to go down there and do something. And I'm like, you don't even have to come with me. What are you into? And that's what you're going to do. That's what, makes, that's what makes this powerful. That's what makes this conversation powerful. The government's not coming to save anybody over there or over here. But it's us guys, you know what I mean, that have experience, have life experience. They can actually go out there and change lot. You understand what I'm saying? With me, the only thing that I could do to help, I have access to skateboards. I have access to people's old music equipment. I have access to dope photographers that can go down there and teach photography. I have access to graffiti artists. Just like you guys. I mean, we're in the same, even though we just met, our communities are probably very similar. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's a way to help. And it's been 10 years. And even though those things might seem silly to some people but i'll give you quick examples 10 years ago there was a kid that wanted to learn photography we got national geographic photographer to go down there and take him a camera and teach him how to take pictures and we kept bringing that guy down and kept working with him and taught him how to how to apprentice how to be a location scout how to take pictures how to develop film He's an adult now, and he's now an established photographer working. You know what I mean? Amazing. The kids that we helped with graffiti are now leading the charge in that whole creative rebellion that's happening right in, in Havana within the graffiti world. The kid who wanted to ride a skateboard 10 years ago is now getting approached by the barracks. You know what I mean? Has American companies trying to figure out how to sponsor him, even though it's impossible to get him the equipment. But these things were impossible 10 years ago. And we made the impossible possible. You know what I mean?
0: I got to um, bring up. I got to bring up the documentary because I keep seeing an image in my head and I have to talk about it because it really struck me uh, with. Everything. I,
2: wasn't, I wasn't wearing a wig, was I? <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, that was with a different. It. That was a different movie. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> with everything. <laughs> That you're talking about here, um, <clears throat> there was a shot of kids having a competition skateboarding in the rain, um, oh and awesome. there were scenes where you're seeing just pure joy of kids being able to be kids, and that yeah. kind of that kind of got me teary-eyed because I was thinking about that. Those moments that I've taken for granted as a kid, those those moments of pure joy where you're there with your friends, you're surrounded by people and you're sharing a common love for something. And, you know, even though it was a competition, the the spirit of that had nothing to do really with the competition. It's just about these kids just doing this thing. It's such a beautiful that whole documentary is awesome to watch, but that one got me. And I was sitting there in tears like, wow, this is
2: I've been in. I've been. Thank you. And I've been brought to tears. As a matter of fact, we used to <laughs> we used to have this thing where my wife and I, um, where we would be like the bigger and the burlier and the gnarlier the dude is that we take to Cuba with us, the more he's gonna cry on the plane on the way home. Hmm. I've seen it a hundred times, and we take, fucking, you know, gnarly just beer drinking, DIY spot concrete. These guys are just in concrete and they're freaking tough and they they smell bad. And You know what I mean? It's, and they're crying, boo-hoo crying on the plane on the way home because what people don't realize is Cuba is a prison. The entire island is a prison. Commun- us, you're not allowed to have any community that's outside of the communist community. So everything that we do there is illegal. When we got there, the kids... Every so, I'll give you quick examples. We'd be on the street, we'd be hanging out, skating. You would meet some kid, and you'd be like, "Well, what are you into?" Um, no, nothing, man. Nothing, no, man. What do you like? I mean, uh, well, you know, I, I, be, I like to paint. I like to draw. I like to draw. I wish I could paint, but um, you know, it's a waste of time. And I'm like, "Why?" He's like, "Well, because even if you were good at it, you could never have like an art show or anything. Why not?" Because the government's the galleries are run by the government. And I'm, you know, and you'd be like, well, is there are any of your friends? He's like, yeah, I've got other friends that want to do it. I'm like, all right, I'll tell you what. Next time I come, I'll, I'll bring you some, some paint supplies. So you'd bring in the paint supplies, and damn, some of the kids got some talent, right? Well, why don't we do a, an art show? No, no, you can't do that, man. That's illegal. Bullshit, we could do an art show. No, you can't. I'm like, all right, I'll do the art show. And if we get in trouble, I'll get in trouble. So we do like we do here in the States, man. You'll do an art show at a at a bar. You know what I mean? We'll do wherever we can get a space. So we would do these events and they would be like the spark. Ooh. Oh my God, we could do that. I'm like, yeah, you guys can do it. As a matter of fact, the next time you guys are gonna plan it, you tell me what you need, and I'll bring the stuff. You guys are gonna plan it. You guys figure out how to do it and I'll support it. Next thing you know, they're doing their own art shows. The same thing's happening with the kids that are doing photography. Skateboard contests? Dude, that's 100% illegal. You're not allowed to have a skateboard contest. Zero. Well, we're going to have one. I'm going to have one. So you guys want to participate? Do you want to have a skateboard contest or not? No, right now, you can't do that. The cops are going to come. Well, I don't want to say fuck the police. But, <laughs> you know, by the time they get here, we'll be done, dude. So we started doing contests. The next thing you know, and I'm not saying that I'm trying to rabble rouse, but these kids are getting bolder and realizing that they can do things. You know what I mean? Um, you guys know what Go Skateboarding Day is? It's a, it's a yearly event, June 21st, all over the world. And what you do is skateboard communities get together, and they skate kind of like critical mass, bicycle style through the streets. Some of the bigger cities will have events. But mainly, you get all your skaters together and you skate through the streets. After being in Cuba for five years, I was like, why don't you guys do those a- skateboarding? And they are like, fuck, you can't do that. That's like having a parade. They will come and they'll beat us all up, police. They'll take us to jail. All right, we're doing it. <laughs> so I organized it. <clears throat> like 75 of us. Um, <clears throat> We had an American flag and a Cuban flag. This is before John Kerry came and put the American flag at the embassy again with the Marines. Six years ago. So we actually flew the flag in Cuba, the American flag before. them. But so we did it. We had our own skateboarding day celebration. And as we're skating that when we first started skating. I'm praying, dear Jesus, (laughs) don't let anybody get hurt because I am also thinking. This, you know, could get ugly. So we're skating. And when I looking back on it, I realized, number one, we're all skating full speed because you have so much adrenaline and you're freaking out. So we're sk- skating, skating. And all of a sudden, I'm the oldest guy and I'm getting tired, but the younger kids are coming <laughs> up to me, right? They're, so all of a sudden, it's like I was in the front with the flag, right? All of a sudden, like the group is coming and they're all going it we're doing it we're doing it and kids are crying dude fucking crying because you're not allowed to do anything together you're not allowed to have self pride you know what i mean you're not allowed to gather any groups on your own dude they so many kids cried so many kids were like we can't believe this is happening it made it was like christmas for everyone that year we continued it on for 5 years eventually Kids were coming from the whole island, getting on buses, hitchhiking, whatever. Then the government started realizing what we were doing and started harassing us and threatening to um, threatening, um, threatening us and, and things like that. So we had to pause it for one year. But the point is that all those things that people find silly are not silly because it's emboldened those kids in Havana. You know what I mean? It's taught them that they can take charge of their lives, that they can, they're allowed to have dreams and they're allowed to act on those dreams because they're not hurting anybody. You know what I mean? You're not hurting anybody, uh, Jesse, by picking up a guitar and playing it. You know what I mean? Matt, it, you know, it's like to be an artist and not have a paintbrush and not be able to express yourself on a canvas, dude, it's crushing. You know what I mean? So that's what we want to do. And that's what we've been doing for 10 years. And it's been a fucking struggle. You know what I mean? But I've seen firsthand what something like skateboarding, like for my son, for example, my oldest son, who always felt like he was too small and he was always kind of on the bottom and on the outs of everything. The day he started skating, his whole world changed. His persona changed. His attitude changed. All of a sudden, he's part of a community. All of a sudden, he's not this scrawny kid that's not getting picked for anything because he f- is excelling at this thing. You know what I mean? So much so that he's more focused than, a, than, an, than an athlete on a team because he has to coach himself because that's what you do in skateboarding. You know what I mean? You don't have a coach on you. Give me 20 ollies in a row. Jump, jump. No, <coughs> you're fucking doing it. You're going to do 120 fucking ollies until you land that first one. And what happens when you land that first one, even though it was ugly as hell, all of your homeboys are going to cheer you on. Hmm. You know what I mean? Well, that's the cool
1: thing about skating. Yeah. Is you keep picking yourself up, you know, because nobody gets to learn those most kind of desirable tricks without failing a thousand times. And that's why the kind of mentality of that sport is so inspirational. Is because it's about self-improvement, isn't it? It's is core. Um, and creativity as well. Like skateboarders see the world differently, I think. Like you walk down a street with a skateboarder and they don't see like a bench and a ledge and a curb. They see a potential route and a way of like, you know, turning the world into their canvas. It's amazing. What you're it's doing is amazing, dude, energy. as well. Thank it's you. so killer.
2: Thank you, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, the way it's the way a skateboarder sees the landscape for the average person doesn't understand it because you only think of skateboarding as just pushing it down the street, but you're looking at obstacles in a way that's so creative that the average person, unless you do that, you don't get it. You know what I mean? You don't get it because you're just looking at a broken piece of concrete. And this kid's looking at it like it's a launch ramp. You know what I mean? So Skating is, is is a strange thing, you know, and there's a reason why skateboarding music and art have always from day one have been so intertwined. You know what I mean? They're, they're all hyper-creative, hyper-rebellious, um,
1: Well, it's not competitive either, is it? That's the thing I love about skateboarding. You you sort of touched on it there is in team sports, you're pitched against others and you're trying to better the fellow human being and excel above them in skateboarding. You're only trying to excel above your, you know, yourself and you're trying to just improve and raise your own game. You know, there isn't that competitive element. It's just pure. It's more about joy and expression.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. Um, yeah, skateboarding is just, the average person doesn't get it. There's no way that, that you could understand it because you're not even looking at the obstacles in the street the same way. You know what I mean? I think, you, here, and here's the thing. It's not that the skateboard is not transformative. I, I say this all the time. The skateboard is just wood, tr- you know, piece of metal, some plastic wheels. It's fucking dead. You know what I mean? It's what you do with that skateboard. That that brings you life, you know what I mean. You you, you can you can train with it, you, you can you can. It, it's transportation. It gives you part. It, it it literally is the key to a community. You know what I mean. I mean, everywhere you go, and no matter what city you're in, you have your skateboard. You'll find some skaters, and you are part of a community. You know what I mean. That's I think what the Cuban government doesn't like. Is that these guys are a community? The, the 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 punk rock kids are part of a community. The, the the graffiti guys are part of a community. All the artists are part of a community. What scares the shit out of them is that they don't want. Let's just talk about Havana, right? Let's say that that all those people that I mentioned <clears throat> make up five hundred young men and women under the age of 25 years old right 500 men and women under 25 years old it took it took under 30 people to start the cuban revolution it took less than 30 young men to essentially take over that to start spark the stoke and start that revolution so to know that there's 500 young men and women that are doing their own thing in Havana scares the shit out of the Cuban government. And that's why, you know, when I tell people that that we're being threatened by them, you know what I mean? That they're taking kids into the police station and interrogating them and asking them about me and asking them about Amigos Skate cuba People are like, you're full of shit. I'm like, I'm not full of shit. They're scared. They're scared because they don't want those kids being together, they don't want anybody grouping up, you know, it's illegal. They don't want for the same reason that they didn't want churches and they got rid of the churches during the revolution. That's why they don't allow the artists to, you know, this, these last riots were, were started by a group of artists. It's dangerous for them.
0: So I have a question. Why Cuba? You, you have such conviction such <clears throat> passion for it. And uh, clearly the mission needs to be, you know, uh, Extended there, but what brought you to Cuba initially? Where, where did that even enter your mind? Like, oh, let's go do this crazy thing because, on paper, it's crazy to go to a country like that and try to spread, you know, an extreme sport. You know, how did that
2: happen? Uh, <laughs> so, my parents <clears throat> both came from Cuba uh, right at the start of the revolution, but <clears throat> I had no desire to ever go there. I never thought I was going to go there. My my oldest son uh kaya when he was 15 um we used to take all these we as my kids and i would take family trips and it would be like we used to call them the the epic skate adventures so we go camping and and skateboarding and all those things at the same time and one day it was the weather was bad in miami which meant that him and all his friends were inside the house probably skating inside the house and i was like dude leave me alone why don't you guys why don't you find some place to go for your uh, for your senior trip? Because I said when you graduate from high school, I'll send you wherever you want to go on a skate trip. Thinking that he's going to pick like England or somewhere. So, dude, like half an hour later, he comes barging into my room, Poppy, because that's what he called me. <laughs> he's like, Poppy, I know where I want to go. Where do you want to go? Cuba. I'm like, what? The, what are you talking about? They don't. There's no. Do they, are there skate parks in Cuba? I don't know anything about it. I'm disconnected from Cuba. Like, I literally don't know anything about it at that point. <clears throat> and he's like, Well, I found a documentary about these skaters in Cuba and how they don't have any equipment and how they're constantly being beat down. And I want to go down there. Cause at that time, um, I was managing a skate park, a nonprofit skate park in Miami and my son and i and my kids were already kind of doing a little work with the neighborhood kids where we would get people to give us their old equipment and we would refurbish it our house was kind of on the dividing line between the good side of the tracks and the bad side of the tracks the skate park was on the good side of the tracks so we wanted all the kids from the wrong side of the tracks to hang out at my house to keep them out of trouble so those kids already knew to come to my house and I'd repair their skateboards or give them skateboards or whatever. So we already had that kind of vibe going. And so my son says, I want to go to Cuba and I want to take the skateboards. And I'm like, dude, there's there's no way you can even go. This is before Obama changed the rules to fly there. I'm like, there's no way we can go. Please, poppy, please, please, please. I'm like, all right, well, let me talk. Let me talk to mommy because she's really the brains the outfit <laughs> I like most wives I'm like if she can figure out how to get us there then we'll do it so she comes back to me and it's it's really difficult it's really expensive and on top of that it's illegal to go there and I'm like dude I don't know what to tell you and he's like please I will I'll make a deal with you you don't have to give me any Christmas presents this year if you'll just take me there and um, <clears throat> I mean what was I supposed to say you know that was like the most beautiful thing I'd ever heard.
0: And so at his, we went at his, at his age too. At to, 15 years old. Have that desire to give to others on top of just wanting to go there. Yeah. That's pretty profound.
2: It was. So we so we we did it. We actually went well, four of us went um illegally. We had we had papers that we had forged, not really forged paper, we had papers from a church saying that we were going on a, on a mission trip with it from a church. And then we had some other documents saying that we were doing something else. All of it was fake, but to make a long story short, we got to Cuba and then he pulled the alt. My son, Kaya, his just the most beautiful soul ever. So we're there first day we get there and they're like, we want to go outside and look for the skaters. And I'm like, all right, cool. We'll unpack. He finds they find the skaters immediately, and we go out and we, we hang out with them. And immediately, it's I'm like, oh my god, this is the most beautiful experience ever. All these kids showed up with their skateboards, and instantly, just making friends. And at one point, a couple hours go by, and I'm already exhausted. And my wife and I want to go eat, and he's like, we want to leave. Him and my, our friend Shane, we want to go leave and, and skate some spots with these kids. And I'm like, go. So I don't see him until that night. When he gets home, I look at his feet and I'm like, I just bought him a brand new pair of Vans. And I'm like, dude, where are your shoes? Where did you get those fucked up <laughs> kicks that you're wearing? And he's like, oh, man. Um, he's like, all right, don't get mad at me, but I gave him away. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, and I was, felt like such an ass. And so I'm like, are you? And I yelled at him. I'm like, are you kidding? I just bought those sneakers for this trip. Why would you do that? That was so stupid. If you want to give them away, maybe wait till the end. And just a little, I went on and on and on. And he just put his head down and walked away. And the next day I woke up and I'm like, I'm such an idiot. I'm such an idiot. I'm like, he literally took the shoes off of his feet and gave them to somebody else and put on that kid's stinky. Holy shoes. I mean, who does that? So I later, I apologized And I'm like, I'm like, dude, what you just did is what this mission will be about from now on. And from that day forward, it was a known thing that whoever was going, I would tell people, it is a contest to see who can come home with the least amount of shit. So if you come back and you only have the clothes on your back, then it was a successful trip for you. And that's the way we did it. And it would be the type of thing where, you'd be getting ready to get on the taxi home and you'd see guys taking off their sneakers shirts off their backs and just throwing them, you know, like they made friends with somebody and it, I mean, I get choked up thinking about it because that's when I was telling you about seeing those big burly guys cry all the time. That would be, um, that would be when it would happen. You know what I mean? And uh, unfortunately my son passed away since then, but his, his, Not even knowing that this was happening, you know what I mean? But that was his spirit coming through this project. Watching guys, watching skaters, you talk about 20-year-old skaters that are saving their money to go to Cuba, spending money that they don't have, taking a bus for 42 hours from New York City to go give away skateboards in Cuba. Um, It's beautiful, you know what I mean? Like These guys don't have anything to begin with, and they're giving it all away. Fuck it, dude. I'll figure it out when I get back to New York. I mean, it's like, how beautiful is that? You never see that. You know what I mean? Like, you're literally giving the shirt off. It's one thing to write a check. Yeah, You know, here's $1,000. Thank you. I appreciate that. Dude, but when you're giving me something that belongs to you, you know what I mean? I mean, that's that's what it's all about. That's what transforms lives
0: right yeah you were talking about god's work earlier i think that's it right there that's god's work right there that generosity that unselfish generosity that's god's work and the fact that your son's spirit is still in there that's a powerful testament to the life he lived and the life that he's the lives he's affected through that and you know you could see yourself as a father to some of those kids over in cuba because of oh like, yeah, you know, and that's that's huge because it's much bigger than skateboarding, it's much bigger than punk rock, even though that spirit is through and through present to that. But you know, I gotta circle it back being the son of a preacher, man. You're doing God's work, period, right there.
2: That's what I think too, man. I mean, I don't, you know, like I it's funny because I would always <laughs> people would think I was kidding because I have, you know, I do joke around a lot, but I'd be like, I'm on a mission from God and I don't preach while I'm there. You know what I mean? But I am on a mission from God. I feel like we are, we are the same character as the disciples, as all the people that Jesus hung out with. Because he didn't hang out with that upper crust people. He hung out with the street people, man. You know what I mean? He hung out with us. You know what I mean? And like I said, I feel that we are the ones that are making changes. You know, I'm looking at all the people that you guys interview and I see like a common thread, you know, the, the punk rock and paintbrushes, um, you know, everything that Michael Olego's been through. I mean, there's a, it's like, it's a commonality of people who are, who were broken, you know what I mean? And fought through that. And now they're like, fuck it, man. I got, I, I got to help you. I got to help that guy. And I know how to fix that. Like, I don't know how to do anything, dude. You know what I mean? I don't know how to do anything, but I know how to help, help that kid. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not good at anything else. I'll be honest with you. I can't balance a checkbook. I suck at everything on the computer, obviously, as, as you've witnessed. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but I know, I, I, I know how to hustle a skateboard off of a skateboard company. You know what I mean? I know how to, I know how to smuggle a skateboard into Cuba because that shit's illegal you got to smuggle it in like you're a fucking drug dealer. You know what I mean? I know how to double talk airport security in Havana. So they don't steal all the friggin' tattoo equipment that I have hidden in my bag. You know what I mean? Or the fact that I have 13,000 tattoo needles in a fucking duffel bag and they want to know why, you know what I mean? So I like those skills that were good on the street. God is using that for something. You know what I mean? Just to give hope to the hopeless. I mean, that's, That's a beautiful thing, man. And now 10 years later, those kids are parents now. You know what I mean? Like I always felt like there's never a good feeling at any, at the end of any of those mission trips for me because I was never able to help everybody. So when I come home, I feel like I failed for 10 years. I come home from one of those trips and I don't, if I took, if we took as a group, not me because, you know, it's not, it's not the Renee show. I mean, we're, we're a group of friends. <clears throat> There's been times when we have taken 300 skateboards to Cuba and I've come home and been depressed for two weeks. Cause I can only remember the people that didn't get one. Like I never remember the people that I, that I gave it to. So for 10 years, it's been like, dude, I suck at this. I fucking suck at this. Like we don't, you know what I mean? And every once in a while, Someone will be like, "Hey, man, I'm you know I have my own kid now, and 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 I'll be honest with you, what you did for me, like my dad wouldn't do that for me, but I'm gonna make sure I do that for my kid, you know, and that's like the shit that, that keeps me going because as far as I'm concerned, it was a fail every time you come back. Oh, you're like, Fuck, I couldn't give that kid, you know, a skateboard. Hang on one second, guys, the dog is about is trying to get out. No worries, dude." And That happens in every podcast, doesn't
1: it? <laughs> yeah, there seems to be something. Wow, incredible stuff, man! Incredible stuff. He yeah, hit the him. nail on the head as well with the types of guests that we get on. It was never like designed <laughs> to be that way, but it's, it's certainly become that, hasn't it, over time? Hmm.
2: Listen, I, I thank you guys for the pod the, for what you guys are doing through this podcast. I, um, <clears throat> at first, I was just gonna listen to one or two, just be like, oh, maybe to see, I didn't know anything about it. I actually yeah, thought, get the vibe. Yeah, well, I thought, so when you wrote me, first I thought he's going to interview me about my music project. Fucking awesome. How did he hear about it? <laughs> uh, I'm cool. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, no, it's not that. It's about Amigo, which is equally cool. So like, let me listen to the the, the the podcast. So I listen to one and then I listen to another. And I'm like, there's a common theme here. And even though everyone that you've interviewed is different in what they do, we're all like kind of in the same, like made out of the same mold, you know. I don't really. It's wild,
1: isn't it? And that's completely by accident, or maybe it's more. Maybe there's larger things at work now, but we certainly never had like a checkpoint of certain characteristics we were looking for in a guest. We're obviously drawn towards, I guess just similar characters, but there is a common thread and it's always like one of the themes that come up are always, as you say, like adversity and triumph and hope and love. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this has been right up there with the best of them, dude.
2: Thank you, man. I, I'm so so to, I would actually just like to talk to you guys. Later. <laughs> I just, it's so nice to connect with people. They, they get it and are the same spirit. You know what I mean? And like I said, I'm so impressed with both of you with, with, with what you both you guys are doing. I mean, there's so much hustle happening, especially during, I mean, these are some weird times right now, dude, you know, weird times. And to see that you guys are, are pushing forward and figuring it out. And I love that dude. It's like, Oh, Here's a roadblock. Well, we'll figure it out. You know what I mean? It's well, that, please,
1: it, if you're free, man, please come along on the third. Sunday, the third of April. He's in Pennsylvania, to. Jesse. So he's right oh, he's yeah, right yeah. close
0: by. Hell yeah. Come on by, man. Shit.
2: Yeah. yeah dude, I was shoveling snow <laughs>
0: a little while ago. <laughs> so I, I'll say this, man. I think, you know, real recognize real. And it's uh, it's that spirit that we all were connected to, that DIY punk rock, you know, spirit that continues to uh to propel us forward and you know i i know you know deep down inside that you're not a failure i think it's incredible what you've done and anybody listening or watching you got to watch the documentary definitely check out and plug your plug your band as well man i think uh, before we let you go you should plug that as well
2: so <laughs> i <laughs>
1: will link it all up as well and i will link it all up
2: thank you very much uh, i started a music project um kind of a dream project that I've had since I was 15 which is to I've been writing songs the whole time and been in and out of bands and I realized that I had all this music written and I'm like, you know what? Let me walk the walk instead of just talking the talk and I'm going to uh, do, you know, record my music. Um so I did and what it sounds like to me, what I wanted it to sound like was if you took the Ramones um uh, Hank Williams Senior, and the Tom Tom Club, and you mix those together in a blender, and that's where the thrift store killers. Not because we're killing anybody, because most of my equipment was from the thrift store <laughs> when we started the project. <laughs> um, Love it, and yeah, dude, I'm. It, it feels so nice to uh, to be recording again, and to be like I said, the creative process. It's it's a beautiful thing, man. Mm-hmm. I'm always telling people. Dude, it's not too late. The reason why I'm doing it is because I'm always telling people it's not too late to start. It's not too late to start. So I'm like, I'll show you it's not too late to start. I'm gonna do it myself. You know, there's Walker, nothing like Walker. creating. That's right, man. Like, you know, gotta be like Johnny Cash. Yes.
0: <laughs> well, I gotta thank you for coming on, man. It was a pleasure. I, I thank you, man. Thank you, guys. Uh, in my, my research you. on you it was a really I was looking forward to this the last time we were supposed to connect, and then I'm, I'm glad it came full circle. And be able to tell your story and i know you have a lot more to say too so uh maybe to be continued and uh if yeah come on down to the live event in new york man I'd i would love, love to I'd love to have yeah. you man.
2: yeah just email me the because uh, i'm gonna forget but i'll i'll bug you guys also yeah we'll as
0: connect as on on the internet as well i follow you now on instagram so for sure i see you, I see you.
2: <laughs> a- any
0: information
1: you want to bring along as well to the live show that can let you know, our listeners and people who are going to be there know about the work that you're doing, you know, pamphlets or anything like that. Uh, And obviously just come hang out and meet meet people and mingle. And it's going to be a beautiful day. And yeah, we'd love to have you. So we'll get you on the list, get you and your wife down and, and we'll hang out and we'll continue this chat in person in New York.
2: Thank you you guys. I really appreciate you uh, considering me and, um, dude, I had a great time. Thank you. You know, hanging out with you guys.
1: Thank you for all the work that you do as well, man. The world is a better place for you. And Thank uh, you,
2: guys. You guys as well. Awesome. I'm telling you, this is just the, the tip of the, uh, the iceberg for this podcast. And yes. for the series. Thank you, brother. Thank you, guys. All right, we'll be in touch, bro. Take care of yourself. <laughs>